Now, talking about, I, I, I think a good example of you know what this film does so well and how well made it is, especially in music films, comparing it to something that won Best Editing at the Oscars oh. and it's based on music. <laughs> that's right, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh. Which is about as inaccurate as Amadeus is. Welcome to Idiot Block, a comedic podcast critiquing, discussing, and analyzing the media industry through reviews, debates, and historical deep dives. Hello, welcome to another episode of Idiot Plot. I'm David Yanish, and joining me today, as always, are my co-host, Alex Ovidal. Too many notes. And Justin Neitzel. I speak for all mediocrities in the world. I am their champion. I am their patron saint. Okay. Okay. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't get, get it from that little quote fest, do I know the episode of movie, movie picks? And today's pick is Alex. Alex, can you tell everyone what you had us watch this week? I picked a long-awaited pick for the three of us. <laughs> I, I, I long in the making, more like I picked Amadeus, the 1984 film about the. Uh, legend, uh, more myth rivalry between Salieri and Mozart about Mozart's time in Vienna. Wait, hold up. You mean I wasn't supposed to watch the music video to Rock Me Amadeus by Falco? <laughs> yes, you know, you know, you told me that joke was coming, and I told you I knew what it was, and that was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. <laughs> um, before we get on that, we're going to do our opening segment like always. And this week, we another episode of What We Watched. So, Justin, we'll start with you. Other than Amadeus, what have you watched recently that you want to share with us? Um, two bad movies that are technically one bad movie, and that is The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1 and 2. Now, I only watched this because I found it on TV, and I just I haven't seen – I didn't see the last one. So I was like, oh, might as well check them out. These movies are freaking boring. It's a m- movie that should not have been split up into two. And I don't know what happened. I, I enjoyed the first two, but this one just kind of faltered. But I also think that's because of the book. The third book wasn't that good either. Yeah, everyone hates the third book. So, like, yeah. the th- it wasn't going to be, be a good movie because the book isn't good. Yeah, no, I like. I think I got halfway through the third book. And I just stopped reading and then i just never went back to it <laughs> yeah that's what i think heavy change like that's one where heavy changes probably would have been a good idea most definitely <laughs> well you uh, yeah that, that, that off those fans so much though because even even though the third book is garbage they still would have been pissed if it, if it was changed right and anyway because they don't like the third book well it's because the third book they're like and thinking back to it watching these movies there's not a lot of action compared to the first two where it's like there's a lot of action killing and everything this one's just kind of i haven't seen mockingjay isn't that the one that's supposed to be like the war yeah basically but <laughs> why is there no action in it then? see well that's the thing is they use um jennifer lawrence character katniss more as a political symbol and a, she doesn't go out and fight as much she's more there for propaganda and everything Oh, so they were just too lazy to actually write action scenes. Yeah. Well, and there's yeah, there's one thing that's kind of a spoil spoiler, but like that, that I just know because everybody talked about the books, like how they basically dodge battle scenes. Basically, 
and then when you when they happen it's just like there's like no one around them and everything like isn't there supposed to be like a battle going on around them like they're not even you don't even see battling in the distance or hear it they're just chilling in buildings waiting to move and then they're like okay nighttime let's sleep take shifts okay we'll move some more don't run into anything and then it's like this is boring I don't know if this will shock you guys, but I've only seen the first Hunger Games movie. I haven't read the books. My wife just bought at Walmart the four pack recently, and I've been meaning to watch them just because they're big movies. But I watched the first one, and it was a really big movie. But I just remember watching the first movie and just thinking it was one of the most crappily made blockbusters I've ever seen. Yes, it only, is. Only because the cinematography of that movie makes me want to claw my eyes out. Yep, it's I not agree. like it's bad framed or poorly lit, but it's like it's like they didn't know how to direct action sequences, so they just shook the camera. Well, it's like violently. A, it's like a B movie with like a blockbuster C movie kind of B movie kind of thing. Yeah, it 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 doesn't look good. Second yeah, one, I, I second one looks a lot better, and they did a lot better job with that. Which I was kind of like, I read all, I read two and a half of the books. The first one was my favorite. Second one, it took me forever to get into the second one. So when I saw the second one, they actually, it actually was really good. I was like, oh, well, maybe they'll do well with the third. And just didn't happen. And that was like, those books were, and like those first two movies were so huge. And I think already when part one of the third one came out, like the hype like died. I think people were getting sick of jennifer lawrence at that time because she was like in everything after that yeah and the saturation well and i don't think it was necessarily hunger games fault because when it was hunger games there was all hunger games clones that came out right after oh yeah divergent all all the teen dystopia movies like there there was divergent maze runner um I think there's some TV shows too. I think the 100s kind of similar to that, but that might be a little bit later. Like vampire, they're their own genre at this point. Yeah, I love the dystopia storylines, but that got excessive. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the only reason you'd watch these movies is Donald Sutherland as uh, President Snow. He's great. Otherwise, not really. Like, uh, watch YouTube videos of just scenes, and you pretty much got the movie. Challenge accepted. <laughs> well, my pick, which is really late because I forgot to do this last week when it was still on HBO Max, but by the time that this comes out, it will no longer be on Max, but it might still be in theaters near you. But I watched a while ago the recent Mortal Kombat movie. Mortal Kombat! You were waiting for that, weren't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, anytime someone um, says it, that you have to yell it. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, this movie, it's written by Simon McCoy. It's like the third or fourth Mortal Kombat movie to be in theaters. Um, it's a reboot of the franchise. Try It's trying to be more like the games than the previous ones were. And in some ways, it's very successful. In others, it's completely unsuccessful. Um, overall, this is a really bad movie that I did still kind of enjoy, except for one thing. This is kind of a spoiler, but also really isn't. But the, but this this sentence will either make you not want to watch the movie at all, or or you're such a big fan that it won't matter. But the movie is not about the tournament. Okay. It's about before the tournament. 
Yeah, as soon as I realized that, it killed my head. Because I'm a big Mortal Kombat fan. I love the games. I love the game story modes. They're really fun. They're not necessarily the best written, but they're kind of like Michael Bay action movie kind of thing where you don't really care. It's just big, dumb action. And this movie has some of that. It has some of big, dumb action. But you can tell they didn't really have the budget to do exactly what they wanted to do. The budget's only $55 million, which is pretty small. For, for a movie of this style, but it makes sense because hard art, it's super violent, super gory, and that isn't, it's also a video game adaptation, which aren't popular anyway, but that makes it of kind of a hard sell to people, um, especially when you have a cast that it's made up almost entirely of unknowns, at least here in the States. Uh, you, you, you have some big names, um, at least internationally, uh, Ryuki Sonata, Joe Salim, um, Louis Tan, not not small names internationally, but kind of kind of kind of small here. And then you ha- and then you have some um, a, a lot of nobodies. But that said, the acting is really good. Josh Lawson as Kano carries the freaking movie. But the problem comes into like just because the fact that the story is before the tournament means the story is pretty much non-existent. And what's there is stupid because it's about the the Mortal Kombat warriors finding their inner powers and basically r- r- places game explanations of different abilities, which is like tech, like like Kano. If you play Mortal Kombat, you know, Kano has a robot eye. Well, in the movie, it's fucking magic. It's a fucking magic laser eye, which makes <laughs> no goddamn sense. And was already explained in in the games decently enough. But they had to make it magic powers. Look into my magic eye. You burn and, yet? And I think, <laughs> and, I, and I think that the other big thing, which again isn't really a spoiler, but it's the fact that um, Johnny Cage and Katana and other big players aren't in the movie, and Raiden also doesn't really do anything. But that said, the fight scenes and violence are pretty freaking great. It's really gory, but in kind of a fun way because because it's Mortal Kombat. So you get some fatalities, but this is when like the game references don't get are not very good. In that, I mean, if you play Mortal Kombat or play Injustice, like you play another one fighting game, you know that after a fight, the person who wins, if you're in the story mode, will say some comment like, "No, that's what you get," and turn around and walk away. They try and do that in this movie. <laughs> it looks really weird. Along with like, someone will kill someone and they'll be like and they'll say like flawless victory or fatality and it's just it's pretty cringy well i kind of expected that from mortal a mortal combat movie they were like trying to be like the games but the fact that they're not even in the tournaments it's like hmm. yeah and, and and that said the fights are pretty good especially the fight between it's in all the trailers that's between scorpion and sub-zero that's the reason why we're all here that's it's why i'm here and it's a badass fight, but the movie itself, it's not very good. It's pretty low budget. Warner didn't really have love, hope in it, even though right now it is the most successful launch item on HMS's history, shockingly enough. Um, which means it might get a sequel. We don't know. I, I guess we'll find out which sequel would be the tournament. Right. So we kind of hoping we do it. So we get the movie that we actually want to see. But see, if it was in theaters, would it have bombed? That's- I don't think it would. I would have saw. I, I think. I think it would have been successful. It was still in theaters. I mean, its theatrical gross is seventy six million dollars on a fifty five million dollar budget in this market. That's pretty good. I was gonna say, yeah, that's pretty good. I'll get a sequel then. I think. 
Yeah, it'll get a sequel. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters because this again, this is this is a bad movie that I did enjoy a little bit, but I will never watch it again. Like, like I'll I'll stick with the games. It's it's not really it doesn't really justify its ex- its existence in any meaning, meaningful way. And I want to see if the sequel change changes that. Now, Alex, you have a bit what we watched. Uh, <laughs> Big for <game>. you, definitely. <laughs> so. I guess this needs context. I watched a Batman Mask of Phantasm, which about a year and X number of months ago, I said I would watch if David watched Amadeus because you refused to watch it. So I kept trying to push you to watch it. Now, I'd wanted to watch it earlier, but at this point I was dug in and I wasn't going to change. So you watched Amadeus since I, since it was the pick for this week. So I watched Batman Mask of Phantasm. See, that same night. See everyone, yeah. extortion works. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Batman animated film, early 90s, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was a very good film, good story, uh, good complexity. The, the start of it, I was like, oh, am I going to have to tell him that I just thought it was okay? But then when, <laughs> once it, it starts... Unlike most movies, once it starts its flashbacks, it gets really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like once it, it starts kind of setting up what the movie's really about, then, then it gets very good. Uh, good characters, strong Batman story, uh, strong ending, uh, good good supporting cast. Here, you know, here's how you use uh, Joker as a supporting character and not as the main villain. Which never happens. The movie is extremely complex thematically, which is why I love it. The writers understood Batman and Joker in that universe better than a lot of people have. Yeah, no, no one until Nolan, I think, understood it as well as they did in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's a movie about loss, and and it does it in such a compelling way with the, with the character interactions. Um. Now, obviously, there is a big twist in this movie that we shouldn't say because, you know, it, it, it's honestly one of the reasons to watch the movie is is the is is the climax. And I don't want to take that away from people. But at the same time, what I'll say is, is I've known people like you and me, Alex, that figured out the twist pretty early on. And I've known people that, that, that didn't know it until it happened. And it's one of the rare movies where people on both sides enjoy enjoyed the enjoyed the, the reveal equally yeah because it doesn't it doesn't stake its entire dramatic weight on it, you not figuring it out like it really doesn't care if you figured it out or not because you don't even I, know you don't even know this person's in this movie until they start piecing it together i think and, and i think in a, in a way it expects you to in the way yeah. that the way that the reveals up it expects you to have figured it out by now yeah um, there's no so you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, there's no big, like there's like Scooby Doo moment where it's like let's see who you really are. It was me, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> but also I, with that movie, I have to give it up to Mark Hamill for his. He probably gives his be- in my opinion his best performance of the Joker of his entire career is in that movie. Oh, that last laugh. Probably He's his haunted. greatest. And all of them are really good. Weirdly, I didn't think, uh, uh, what's his name? The the Batman voice, who's been the Batman voice for, like, forever. Conroy. Yeah, I didn't think he was as good as usual. That's but, because this is early Kevin Conroy, when he wasn't as good. 
Yeah, his voice wasn't as like, like his, his voice changed like halfway through the animated series and then it just became perfect. Yeah, it was bizarre because he kind of at first was, like, was kind of nasally. Yeah. He, we, we, has a we always, me and David always talk like we wish we could have uh, Kevin Conroy's Batman now and an early Mark Hamill's Joker together. That would be perfect. Yeah, because Mark Hamill's Joker now is not that great in my opinion. It's super yeah, everybody, Everybody's pretty great. Abe Vigoda is in this. I I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> uh strong supporting cast uh yeah i was you know i don't watch much animation which has become a running thing here but i really enjoyed this one and it's an animation part isn't that is is, isn't the greatest it it looks like ass but i didn't care (laughs) yeah it's a strong recommend from, from me if you like batman it's a forgotten movie pretty much but it's it's really good no sub zero is the forgotten one no, Sub-Zero, I think there's more people talk about compared to Mask of Phantasm. Oh, really? Yeah, because Mask of Phantasm, like, disappeared. And then, and then in, like, the mid-2000s, people were like, what the hell is this? This is actually really good. And now it's, like, a, it's like the classic. It's probably it's probably my pick for the best non-known Batman movie. Yeah. For me, that's tough. I do like the uh, first Tim Burton one a lot. But this is definitely, like, more batman like more accurate batman if that makes sense more like, comic accurate right like not not to be that gatekeeper or something but like the, i don't like what they did with the joker in the first tim burton one like i love the movie but like the whole joker backstory thing was super lame well and, and that's like very like we're, we're not well, like that but you know comics also play a role in whether we tend to like it or not especially what mask of phantasm does is it gets the tone of the comics right yeah and I think that's when people talk about accuracy. That's more, I think, a lot of them are, are referring to. It's not necessarily this specific jacket was colored green in the comics. It's colored blue. Or he it's said more, this think, one line. Yeah, it's about getting that tone correctly so it feels authentic. And yeah. and that many animators in general. I mean, you, you have the, 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 the designs are great. The acting's great. Shirley Walker's score, both the show and the movie, are phenomenal she might be the most underrated composer of all time for movies and tv but yeah i agree it's on hbo max so if you haven't seen it and you should it's it's available on hbo max right now and there's a blu-ray copy that came out recently that they can find pretty make your deal with your uh, friends to make them watch a film you love then hold it back until they watch it also just go out and by the animated series and watch that as well. Yeah, which is also on Max. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot it's on Max now. Yeah, all of these animated stuff is. It's well worth a watch. And now that's all the way. We'll get to our main topic of conversation for today, which is a medias. Alex, do you want to take us away? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna mess with me as many ways as possible. But because uh, you I, got I, a victory in on me, and I can't let you just I, have it. Did I? Did I? I know. You can watch a three-hour movie in return for you watching one that's barely an hour. Well, but now I'm I'm watching two animation ones, so that's like add them up. It's still not the same. It's still not the equal length. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, does so anyway. Uh, as mentioned at the top, 1984 film about Mozart and Salieri. 
uh, one, one of my favorite films and uh, one that is highly regarded by everyone that's seen it. Unfortunately, not as many these days because it's not on streaming, which needs to be fixed. But uh, it came out, won a bunch of Oscars. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about uh, biopics, I mean, this is even hard to call one because it's not from his perspective. But like just films, period pieces or films about history in general that aren't war films kind of get the stink about them sometimes with people and this one has really avoided it and is one of the most like successful and beloved ones so it, um i think you know besides how well made it is it's interesting to look at like why does this one work well especially compared to other films about similar things because of course there were like a, a hundred you know Amadeus ripoffs immediately there's a Beethoven movie there's a you know whatever and they did not have the same level of success which I think I watched all of them in band class at some point I did too I know the, I know the Beethoven one. I've seen that one is that the time traveling one is that the one because I've, I've seen one about a girl that travels back in time to, to Beethoven like befriends Beethoven that's weird it's really weird there's a lot of weird ones out there but to go off your point, Alex, I agree. I think Amadeus survived for the sole reason of it's not accurate at all, but it doesn't try to be. Yeah, it's really like it's, a, a King Arthur, like, you know, Trojan War, like thinking about ones that are like mythalizing. And I think that's the right word, history, like making myth out of it and knowing it is. See, like. <laughs> The one I compare it to is JFK in that they both kind of go off of the legends and conspiracy behind real events. But whereas JFK basically just makes shit up but pretends it's fact, Amadeus treats the legend like legend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it's doesn't... The fact that the, part, the narrator is also unreliable. He's insane. Exactly. I mean, he's in a mental ward. Yeah. Which, which happened? Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 there was rivalry between um, between Mozart and Salieri. Was it exactly as the movie put it? Probably not, but it was there. And you know, speaking on Salieri, that's another big thing that helps the film. It's not from Mozart's perspective. Mm-hmm. Its themes are entirely from the other perspective, and that gives it that thematic weight and complexity that makes it so good. The fact, you know, what he wants to be. Mozart is, and he's the opposite in personality, and he can't handle the fact that someone who's not like his perfect idea of what a musician should be or what a person should be does what he does better. Yeah, they yeah, for the- they, they complement each other very well. What one does ba- bad, the other does excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the many people who whose grandparents didn't own the VHS double box set. Of, of Amadeus as kids. As we've said, it's about Antonio Salieri and Mozart, their relationship as composers. Salieri being interviewed by a priest for confession and talking about how he completely, um, basically, he loved Mozart and then because Mozart basically embarrassed him as a composer, tried to um, destroy him. Which is funny considering. Salieri had more long-term success. 
Yeah, he, he had that success at the time, and it's something that happens in all kinds of art. And, you know, even we've talked about movies, right, that weren't appreciated at the time. It's like at the time, Salieri was much bigger, but he <laughs> lives to see his music fade and Mozart's become like the dominant composer probably ever or and, certainly and, at the top. And it's interesting watching it because, like, in the context of the story, right, Salieri this whole thing with this whole rivalry, this whole animosity is like all in his head. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, are they, is it the Austrian emperor? Yeah. Is that, okay. The Austrian emperor still like in that, in that whole like committee that runs the operas in the area still like sides with Salieri. Most are never really like, like, like takes over or takes control. It's also like Aries ego being hit. And that's why he does all this revenge. Well, and yeah. also Salieri, he he seems to be like the only one who throughout this the movie that understands Mozart and is like what mm-hmm. I do everyone loves and he is on a whole nother level that these other people do not understand but I do and he is kicking my butt in all the in all the writings and everything yeah like one of the most interesting like to me one of my favorite scenes the Don Giovanni scene where really like Salieri loses it it's like Mozart makes like this incredibly dark personal uh, piece Salieri goes to all five showings because he's obsessed with it and the same time comes up with a plan to literally kill him yeah <laughs> like because yeah. he can't take it anymore you get that interesting dynamic because Salieri is like helping Mozart write his operas, but at the same time is also making sure that they don't last. It's he he, yeah, want, really he, he wants to see what he want he's going to write and compose, but he doesn't want him to be popular for it. Yeah, because like the the that side of him is like this is amazing, but he can't handle it because it's like why not me. And that's like a universal thing that that's very complex. It's like, why not me? Because well, he, he, he like makes a prayer at the beginning of the movie. Like, you know, I'll give you all these things, God, if you make me great. And he's convinced that he's been made great. He took his sign that his father dying was a sign <laughs> that God was giving him permission to do what he wanted to do. But I think he's, oh. this guy and he's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> Well, and I think it's super universal, too, in the sense that we've all been in a situation, whether it's at school or work or something, where we put all this effort into something, we think it, we think it's really good, we're, we're proud of it, and then some guy comes along and like instantly does it better, right? Mm-hmm. And with, like, no effort. Like, yeah. It takes little effort. He works all the time, but, like, comparatively, I mean, he can he writes operas in his head. Like, that's nuts. <laughs> Well, and he only yeah. has the original copies. He doesn't make more. Yeah. When we're on the subject of these characters. We gotta give it up to F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hulse. How do you say his name? I think you got it. <laughs> One of those ways you. Anyway, F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hulse, who deliver, I mean, greatest ever performances. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when I first saw this film, I hadn't looked up as much beforehand. And I was like, wow, the performances were amazing. Like, F. Murray Abraham was so good, but Tom Hulse was like, even better. How did he not win? Because I thought old Sal Leary was a different actor. (laughs) (laughs) But I saw that and I'm like, what? Because talk about unrecognizable. Like, talk about a great makeup job. Yeah. 
and just like even his voice is like different because it's older and i mean he he cut his throat so like he sounds different Mm -hmm. yeah and tom halls has so much energy and can and can do the mood swings of that the character requires perfectly like like his, his performance when he's super happy is 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 incredible and how he can switch from super happy to like completely broken down on the fly is fantastic on that laugh I, yep i was just, i was just gonna go there. <laughs> that laugh drives so much like that's such a unique laugh that works so well it's, you, it's so funny because we know do we know was was the laugh created just for the movie or was it part of the stage play Oh, I should have looked that up. Because Tim play. Curry played Mozart in the, in the play, and I want to hear him do that laugh, because I feel like it's a lot more terrifying than Tom Hall's doing it. Oh, yeah. Well, especially considering Tim Curry was supposed to be the Joker, but he was just too terrifying for children in the animated series. Because, like, him, Tom Holson does, like... Oh, sorry, were you saying something? Well, I was, I was going to say, and imagine that as Mozart... Yeah, like, because when Hulse does it, it's, like, it's so contagious. Like, it's such a fun laugh, but at the same time, it's so, like, improper that you see, like, why... Like, you you don't agree with it, but, like, why they're also disgusted because they're also proper and uptight, and he just does that outrageous laugh, and they all look at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, and I think that... Go ahead, Justin. It's it's funny because it when he first cut does it a couple times, you're like, what the hell? And it's like this is kind of weird. And then you just kind of get used to it. And by the end, you're like, why isn't he laughing as much? Well, I I think that's a good point, Justin. I think that plays into how the characters feel. And because because Salieri is like. Mozart's my hero. He's a legend. Look at this music. It's amazing. I can't wait to meet him. I wrote this piece for him. Oh my God. You know, he, his expectations for Mozart are so huge. And then comes this tiny dude that's super improper, rude, loud. Well, like, even the first time he went to go see him, he's like, I wonder if I can recognize him before he performs. And he's like looking around, like, what would he look like? And he's the dude, and he's the crass dude having sex with a random lady in the back bedroom, in the back boardroom before the performance, like like that. And I, I think that's actually, I think, a really good theme is this idea that even we have now about like celebrities and stuff, how who they are, how we don't, we don't see them as people, we see them as legends. Mm-hmm. Like how many people are like the people that are so upset that like Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski aren't a couple in real life. Yeah, the, the what they're perceived to be becomes the reality, and when it isn't that, it's like, why aren't you like this? Mm-hmm. That, that 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 to me is a, is what drove Salieri's perception of Mozart and why he was so pissed because because this crass, tiny, rude dude is so much better than him. <laughs> well, and like and. The first scene where he knows Mozart's going to be there and he's like looking around like what he says, like, what does that kind of greatness look like? And he's looking around. He's looking at all these proper people like, oh, maybe it's him. and literally Mozart is chasing after a girl goes right past him. He doesn't see him. And you don't know at the point at the in first viewing that that's him. Yeah. But like there's this dude just chasing some girl and giggling and that's him. It's it, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic way. Right. 
the first lesson that you will learn in any screenwriting course, if you go to college for screenwriting or any sort of film stuff, what the, what's the first thing they always tell you? Show, don't tell. And Amadeus has some great examples of showing not telling, of, yeah. of, of sneaking stuff into subtext and making you sympathize with Salieri and his whole mindset. Well, I think one thing, like besides, like you know, the the script is full of that and fantastic dialogue and complexity, but like this is like a goat tier directing and editing job, like to give you those visual things that have that impact. That well, was the well, shot. Go ahead, Justin. And the um, great editing of weaving between him telling the story and the flashbacks, and then just of the opera itself was beautifully yeah. done. That was so shocking to me that, that this film, which won so many Oscars, didn't win Best Editing. I know, right? Yeah, this, this is the best edited film I've ever seen. Like, I it, will plant my flag there. Uh, I, I still might be with Raging Bull, but... That's another fair one. <laughs> um, but this is up there. Like, editing's perfect. It also didn't, didn't win cinematography, which is really bizarre to me, too. I mean, yeah, I, I can kind of see that. Oscars and you're like, it could have won more. <laughs> I could see it not winning Best Cinematography. I mean, none of the shots were anything. But the lighting, though. True. I'd also say shots like the the one like that that have that thematic weight, like when his dad shows up in Vienna, and it's him in that coat, and the shot is literally exactly the same as Don Giovanni when the general shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone seen The Killing Fields? Because that's what one editing. No. I want to. But I haven't seen it. It's also what won best editing, so. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but of course, it also won costume design, makeup, all the the stuff that the the, the period piece movies usually win. I was going to say, the staple of the period piece. Right, but in this one, like, man, they earned it. Like, the makeup on Salieri and... And the costumes, like, besides just, like, the basic period ones, like, the ones for the opera and, like, the characters in the operas and stuff, like, are really important. Mm-hmm. Is is art direction set design? Because this deserved to win that, definitely, for sure. I think so. I th- Yeah, I think they've split it more now, but not at the time. Also, winning Best Sound was well-deserved as well. Yeah, that really oh. drives because it. it couldn't it couldn't win original score, which actually at the Oscars, the person who won made a joke about that. They were like, uh, "I'm just glad Mozart wasn't eligible this year." <laughs> but how they use that music though, where he's yeah. like playing in his head, and they suddenly like bring it in the background. Genius. Yeah, like the one where Sally, like, think about how it looks for the priest when you get Salieri remembering his performance and he, like, starts the conducting and it goes to, like, the flashback, but then it comes back and he's, like, soaking in the applause that literally doesn't exist. Oh, I love that. I love that shot so much. And then the priest is just like, what the fuck? Has so that, much- like, that's one of my favorite nonverbal performances as the priest throughout this film who barely says anything, but he's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody edited a version of this movie where they take all that stuff out and it's just Salieri being a crazy person singing the story. <laughs> Has somebody made that version? Because that'd be hilarious. That would be. I feel like that's what the play has to be, right? That, I mean, not entirely because you can pump some sound in, but certainly not at the level the film does. That and just the um, priest's facial reactions. 
Yeah, like they're so good. That, I feel like that'd be like like the version of Big Bang Theory without the laugh track. That's just <laughs> that, that's just hilarious. But it's uncomfortable. Act, but it's actually funny. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this. I feel like this will also just be uncomfortable. Yeah, like just because you just get 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 the priest watching this crazy dude talk about talk about God and how he killed Mozart, <laughs> the creature. Yeah, and I think this is like really a film to study to see like with the sound the editing the direction like all these things like it's almost it was such a well-regarded play it's almost impossible to see as a play after you've seen the film because they use every element of filmmaking to like to the highest level so like if you want to see how to do sound editing cinematography like everything it's like perfectly contributes to the story i remember when when we were going into this and you and you were telling me that this was Milo's Foreman's like best directing job. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, shut up, the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> yes, yes, I was like, oh, Cuckoo's Nest. People versus Larry Flint. Come on, and I saw, and I saw it. I was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> like it might be. I love Cuckoo's Nest so much. So it's hard for me to. You can, you can make an equal argument for both. Like I'll give that up. Like because they're both so good. But like you, the fact that you can state, considering he made Cuckoo's Nest, that he did an even better one later in his career is like crazy to think about. Well, you can't. My issue is you, is you can't really compare those two movies because they're because they're so wildly different directing jobs. Yeah. It's, hard to, it's hard to be like no, no. You, you could compare Larry Flint to Amadeus a little bit more because they're because they're similar because they're both biopics. Um, you know, Amadeus is way better because just because Larry, 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 Larry Flint cuts way too much time out. Um, but also, it kind of shows Milo's Foreman's just oh. range in general that he's able to do Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus, and you're in, and both actually kind of feel like his style. Yeah, because like the theme, like there's difference in the themes, but like you get some of the same. Like you have a character who's like all about life and living, and like contrasting that with other people. I think that's something he does regularly. And no one talks about him. No one talks about Milos Foreman anymore. Yeah, he he's not. Well, no one talks about Amadeus anymore. It's weird how this movie's just disappeared. Yeah, if this landed on streaming, this would be like the number one movie on that service for a while, and it would get back. Like, well, that's I where I first came across it was on Netflix when it was on there. All yeah, all the grandmas on Netflix would be like, "Oh my god, Amadeus." Although one the grandmas thing, are right this time. One thing is interesting. Now the one that's you, the cut that we normally see is just the director's cut because on IMDb it says it's two hours and forty minutes, but the one that we watched was a three-hour cut. You can't yeah, find that picture cut. They did not release on Blu-ray or in the H- digitally remastered HD, both the remastered versions. They did not remaster the theatrical, which is rare because that's the cut that won Best Picture. It's weird to think about. But that is true. That Not since the DVD have they released the theatrical cut. So so, so, so hear that? People whose grandparents own Amadeus on VHS in their basement, you have something actually kind of valuable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually, I, I've seen this on the internet a few times. People who pay, played it for their music class and got, you know, the new remastered one and weren't expecting Whoa. the boob scene. Oh, no. Oh, God. I, I know. I, yeah. Well, that's what that was. That was the curious. Well, because because, because yeah, the original was PG, right? And this is R. Well, that's the funny thing is I remember like I like I think I watched this in band class, but we never finished it. I'm like, I should watch it. And then all of a sudden that scene came out. I'm like, why were we watching this in band class? <laughs> 
And that, that's something that definitely doesn't happen very often. Usually there's both available because the closest thing I think we've had is Lord of the Rings. Like the extendeds have kind of taken over, but you can still find the theatricals. And you can find the theatricals way more common than you can find the extended. Any any Walmart or Target will have the will have that theatrical trilogy on Blu-ray for like fifteen dollars. Yeah. If you want the extended, it's at least three times that. Right, because that that one sells like hotcakes. Like that's the one everybody picks up. But I think there's value in watching both. I kind of want to see the original Patrick Cook of Amadeus only because my my one 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 of my few issues with the movie is some of the pacing of some of the scenes is too much. Like the opera scenes and some is going for way too long. I only, have I, just, pa- I only have a patience for one. You gave me three. Well, they're really well done. It's just <laughs> get on with it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not entertained. I get it for sure. I get it. Like, Mozart made opera. But like they're so good. That's my problem. Like I, I, I get so caught up with them because like they're so well done in this. It's like my complaint with Lawrence of Arabia. It's like it's long, but what do you cut? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, but I and I think the interesting thing, like I'm surprised it got away with in the theatrical because it's so important, and that's why like even with that, I would still recommend the director's cut because there's a the scene we talked about accidentally showing in band class is actually super important. Mm-hmm. Like especially at the end of the film, how she reacts to Salieri, like that that's actually really crucial to the story. Oh, now that you mentioned the ending, the ending where he helps Mozart because he's paying him to create this great work and then he helps him to finish it and then he's but a glass door away from having it yeah and because yeah. he was gonna play it and claim that it was his like but like that scene too where like the way the different parts of the music come in as it's being written oh that's so good we're hit with it with a writing it together God, it, that 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 scene it's not be it's not be inappropriate, but that is a scene that I would classify as a sexy scene. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I would agree. If you if like you love filmmaking for sure, like that scene is sexy. But like that's something where you're like, oh you're watching like oh like just the way everything come comes in is just like this is just this is beautiful. The way the acting the way the, the way the two performances come together the way the sound is brought in and isolated from different things where we actually get to see the characters interacting for more than just like a minute yeah and it's it, it's like tragic that way because like again it shows that they Salieri could have helped Mozart and been a part of that and you know in, in the film and like helped him grow but he worked against him so long but I think his problem was he just he's like I he couldn't bring himself to do that yeah, he gave up so air. much to be good that he wanted it no well, matter what well to, to be, be fair mozart also in a, in a very meme scene like family guy made fun of this scene salieri also made Mo, sorry mozart made fun of salieri at that party yeah yeah and i feel like that would that that, 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 that would piss me off <laughs> yeah that pretty yeah, much that, that's made it I'll, like I'll, he was never gonna help him at all if after that if some dude went play, went play Salieri, doof, 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 and like, you know, and pretend to be an idiot. But, but at that point, he had been working so much against him. Like, at that point, he had spread the rumor about him and little girls and stuff like that that, like, ruined his chance of making money. Well, and he also ruined his own chance because he couldn't handle the dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, but, that, but that's... That, 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 that would crash people. 
God. And then you get into alcoholism. It's a very well-made movie. It's a very well-done movie. Yeah, like, and, and it's one that, like, the, the themes and, like, character and story are always at the center because we talked about, like, how well-made that end part is. But there's also, like, all the things that's going on with the two characters. Like, there's always a story reason. I do kind of understand why it's been forgotten because I, I believe I could be wrong. And again... My parents sometimes listen to us, so and so they will probably text me if they hear this and I'm wrong. But I remember them talking about Amadeus and talking about how bad it was, how boring it was, how too long it was, how pretentious it was. And, and I think with Amadeus, it's kind of an anomaly in that it looks like your stereotypical standard pretentious Oscar bait movie when it's really not. But it yeah. kind of looks like it would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the outside, that's what I, like, my mom is the one who pushed me to watch it a lot because she loved it. And, like, you know, you look it up, you see the poster, which looks great, you see the images, it looks like it's going to be that. Mm-hmm. And then it's this, like, it's, like, this really fun and very complex movie at the same time. Like, it's very different than what you expect. And I think that's what all the clones or, like, attempts to do the same thing forget. Well, and even, like, when watching it in band class, it's like, I know a lot of people that didn't even pay attention to it were busy talking or trying to be in their phones discreetly, but I was, like, absorbed through it, into it, and I was, like, watching it, actually. Yeah. Not for the music, but... Yeah. Well, the interesting things is, like, in the film, you have, like, what you would expect back to be the pretentious people and those are the people who are working against him like you don't do it this way this isn't proper ver- you know these aren't proper virtues this isn't this or that like well and solidarity is trying to play country. both sides where he's both helping and crippling him yeah because he can't decide what to, what to do and that's what makes him go crazy <laughs> i just love you know <clears throat> Like, the, the little things I think I noticed because I rewatched it again because I can't help myself. Like, when it, when he's on the piano and composes that little walk-in tune, he literally looks at the cross and says, like, thank you, God. He's like, grazie, signore. Like, oh, my gosh, this guy's so fucking full of himself. And then Mozart comes in. He hears it once. He has it memorized. And then he, like, messes with it. Like, oh, this and, doesn't really work, actually. And improves it greatly, and it just infuriates him. Because the way Salieri's character is, you assume he'd probably spent probably a good maybe week working on that. Yeah. Like a long time. And it's like, oh, yeah, I already got it. Actually, now I'm going to tweak it because it doesn't work very well. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so it's a film that nails like the, those big moments that we talked about. But then it's like the little scenes like that, you know, when you watch it more, it, it like rewards rewatching because you notice those little scenes and, and enjoy them. Talk about the clones because I looked this up. The Beethoven one that you were referring to is not the one I watched, but it is Immortal Beloved, starring Gary Oldman as Ludwig von Beethoven. Really? Yeah. See, that's that's like a really clear try to be Amadeus. <laughs> but it's weird because it's made ten years after Amadeus. Yeah, that's funny because I was going to assume it was. Because um... what what one you said was Beethoven? Wasn't he's the deaf one, right? Yes. Because uh, I, I was going to think it wasn't um, Gary Oldman. Who's the one actor? can't think of his name. He played... I'll come back to it. 
Okay. Um, but I think, Alex, I think you have a point where Amadeus is one of those biopics that kind of defined biopics for well, for good and bad. And it's kind of left, it kind of left us in this weird state of biopics where you have some, like, like kind of like Amadeus of biopics that aren't true in a lot of ways is the standard now. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I think it was, it happened before that too. Like that's just kind of been a thing. The example that, that comes to mind to me is Steve Jobs. How but I think it's like Amadeus in the sense of like the, the characters are probably accurate. And it's a compelling movie. None, none of this shit happened. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean it's bad, but. Oh, I figured out that actor. Um, I was assuming it was a Brendan Gleeson. Oh. Oh yeah. For he's, some reason, I picture him as he's too big. I don't know. I have this movie in my head. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> and Gary Oldman can be anyone. Do the chameleon. Oh, I know. Watch the Fifth Element. I st- still can't believe that's Gary Oldman. <laughs> Southern accent, Gary Oldman. But yeah, and I, I think um, like what you mentioned. I think the big thing is that this doesn't pretend to be in the way that something like Steve Jobs definitely does. <laughs> Like, oh, or JFK, right? Yeah, definitely acts like all of that really happened. As much as that, as fun as that movie is, I'm like, wow, this really does act like all that happened. Well, and like you said, the beauty of this one is it gives you an unreliable storyteller. Yeah, it, it, you can't trust Salieri, so his story could be false. Yeah, because you're only hearing one side of the story. I think you know what happens. It, it even gets talked about in the film too, like when they're talking about legends and stuff. Like, you know, people have been making l- legends from history for a long time. I mean, Shakespeare did it. You know, people did it before that. Uh, films did it. Like, you know, the other like films about people like Spartacus aren't accurate at all, but they're good. <laughs> Now, talking about, I, I think a good example of, you know, what this film does so well and how well made it is, especially in music films, comparing it to something that won Best Editing at the Oscars oh, and God. it's based on music. <laughs> That's right. Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh. Which is about as inaccurate as Amadeus is. Yeah. So you want to talk about, like, compare those two films why this one works versus that one doesn't that's literally just a montage of them doing everything well inaccurately and pretending it's accurate for how long being terribly edited and it was praised like endlessly god i hate i hate how right you are (laughs) i hate how right you are because bohemian rhapsody actually is a pretty good case that it's put up against amadeus because bohemian rhapsody thinks it's amadeus it thinks modern rock amadeus like yeah yeah, it, it thinks that's what it is, but it's missing that negativity. It's missing the accuracy because, like, Freddie Mercury did tons of weird shit yeah. that the movie, like, ignores. It ignores the fact that Freddie Mercury was kind of a lunatic. Where Amadeus kind of embraces it. Yeah, yeah, like, he starts going crazy at the end. It makes him sick. Well, there's, there's a difference. There, there, there's a huge difference. Salieri wasn't alive when Amadeus was made, but there are still, <laughs> there are still members of Queen that are alive that have a financial stake in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that that they definitely drove the direction. Oh, they totally did. They totally drove it, and that and it ruined that movie. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen's talked about when he's attached to it that like the people, the members of Queen wanted Freddie to die halfway through and have the oh. back half of the movie be about the members of Queen being resilient without Freddie. Like what? 
Well, and you can see that even in the movie where it's like it makes it makes everyone but Freddy seem like a saint. And it's just like you all yeah, had Fred- a part to play in this bullshit. Yeah, Freddy's the cause of all the problems. And, and, and when Freddy has problems, they get solved because Brian May goes, hey, Freddy, you need to be better than that. Like, it's such We're a family. Cue Vin Diesel walk in. <laughs> it's such complete horseshit. And I hate the fact that you run up to Amadeus because it's really fucking accurate. Yeah, especially we, we actually do live in a world where Bohemian Rhapsody won the Oscar for best editing and Amadeus didn't. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Now I really gotta watch this, like uh, Killing Field, just to see why that if that would deserve to win Best Editing. Just to justify that thing when it's like, yeah, this movie's good, but like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Like that. I, to bring it back to the one last week, like I watched Lion in Winter. It's a great film. It won Best Screenplay over um, Doctor Strangelove. No. Or is it Beckett? No, it was Beckett. Either way, like, good movie, but, like, strange love. Just, like, yeah, I mean... Well, I find it funny is, like, we we joke about it winning best editing, but it was a joke the minute it happened. <laughs> yeah, somebody instantly made that cut of editing them winning it, like, in one of the best videos ever, editing it like Bohemian Rhapsody. Which is still one of the best videos ever. That is, the video is, the video is hilarious. <laughs> Just the random cuts, the random zooms. Yeah, the close-up of the hands and the random audience member, like... Well, and Bohemian Rhapsody is so basic, because it, it does... How Amadeus has the opera scenes that sort of move you from one time period to the next. Bohemian mm-hmm. actually tries to do that with the concert sequences and the different music video sequences, but... It's too rhythmic. Like basically, Bohemian Rhapsody is just bits and pieces of Freddie Mercury's personal life, followed by Queen. Queen discovers how how to make famous Queen song, followed by a montage of them performing said famous Queen song, and it just repeats that until you get to the climax, which is them performing at Live Aid. I mean, how many like you could take a shot for every concert they're performing at and be wasted before half the movie's over with. Well, and, and it's so lazy, because especially the, the Live 8, the Live 8 sequence, which all people talk about how amazing that sequence is, because they recreated Live 8. That, that's you give not, us a thousand, hundred thousand dollars, we'll cre- recreate anything, too. Yeah, like, it's not, that's a basic cinematography class project. Every cinematography class, the first project you will do is recreate shots from movies. And recreate famous things. It's not that hard. Yeah, I could and do I mean, it when I was ten. When I was playing make believe, I could recreate a scene. <laughs> it's not hard. And, and in Amadeus, they literally like they have the opera house. They completely reconstruct the opera and the crowd. Yet there's always something else that has that through line the whole time. There's something happening in story and character when that's happening. Salieri's doing something. Something's going on with Mozart. There's something happening besides just here's the concert. Well, like even during his first performance in the Emperor Yawns. One of the oh, yeah, biggest the selling like, points of whether his show, like three yawns, the it would never get another performance. Two yawns, maybe five. Like, <laughs> like that, but it gives that it gives those scenes reasons to happen. Which and, and music biopics have that happen a lot. Like a music biopic that 
I haven't seen this movie in years, but it's one that is special to me, or at least important just because of the, the musician that it's about. It's like my grandfather's favorite. So I, so I, I listened to him all the time when I was a kid. It's very important. It, it, so the movie is very important. That to me is Walk the Line, and which is about Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. And that movie also falls into that rhythmic thing of you're having these music sequences, but nothing's really happening. And and you a lot of the movies have the thing where you have the music sequences, and then you have the personal life, and they never mix. Yeah, because I'm a like they mix. I, and I would agree thinking about it. Like, there's all that great stuff happening in his personal life, but I don't really remember the the music points because they don't tie in in Amadeus. Like, it's all one, it's all one story. Well, the thing about another cut out there for a second, Alex. Did you say you had seen Walk the Line? Yeah, I, I have seen it. Okay, so, 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 so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, and there's also the other another music biopic that kind of blends their personal lives and the music and that's straight out of Compton. That's a really good one. That's a really good one because it blends the music scenes into that really well. And a lot of their music is based on what they went through in real life. I mean, a good example from that movie would, would be when they're, they're told not to play fuck the police thinking Detroit. Yeah. And and the big question is, is are they going to perform Fuck the Police? And they do. And it's this big moment in the story because 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 they, because they are going against the wishes of the concert promoters in, in the city and everyone. And that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it, too, where Amadeus benefits is the fact that, like, kind of, we talk about Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's a big issue with any music biopic, and that is people having financial stakes in the music. No one really has financial stake in Mozart's music. It's all public domain. So so if you tarnish his reputation, no one's really going to be angry because there's not a lot of people that are solely making money off of it. Mm-hmm. But you have some of these bands that would and musicians that would make amazing biopics. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd, um, the ones that just have like the have like the really like fucked up stories. Yeah, that will never get made because people will lose money because they'll be portrayed in in, in, in a negative light. Because there are because there are people that are kind of blind to like Fleetwood Mac's drama. There's so much. There's so much there. That it'd be an amazing movie if you could do oh. it right. Yeah, and I think sometimes, like, you know, they just have to embrace it because, I mean, you know, if you want this, you know, it could be a story of value to tell if you can get your hands on it. And um, it also does make your music more popular. I mean, one thing that's interesting with Amadeus is it actually led to Salieri's music becoming more popular. Well, that was fun. That's the fun thing about the like one of the opening scenes where he's playing his music and you're like it sounds kind of familiar and then he plays Mozart and it's like oh I know that and you you're you're basically the priest that. in that in that scene yeah and what also I like about Amadeus because I'm I'm gonna bring up another recent music biopic that I think is simplifies this issue immensely which is. These biopics, usually music biopics, as just showcases to to show an actor doing an impression, not even a performance, but an impression of a famous musician. And I, I think the big example of that is Judy, with Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland. Oh yeah. <laughs> Same could be said for Remy Malek and Bohemian Rhapsody, where I, I thought, and they both won the Oscar, but those were both clearly 
in my opinion, impressions, not performances. Where you, and then you also have the opposite, where you basically got um, Taron Egerton playing uh, Elton John and actually singing his songs and doing like all the work, and he doesn't get a sniff at all. Amadeus well, too. Those are performances. They're they're not impressions. Well, I'm one like one of the most famous biopic performances ever. Everybody points to. That this is a this isn't a music one, but uh, George C. Scott and Patton. Guess what? He sounds nothing like Patton, but you know what? He feels like he's Patton. <laughs> but like, if you look up like clips of Patton speaking, he sounds absolutely nothing like him. That's because it's a performance. It, he's not trying to do it, it like, you know, an imitation. And that's not you what you, you don't want an imitation. You want you well, want to feel them. No, but some people want imitations. Because an interesting point, we talk about this a lot. We talk about like fan castings. And oh, that's yeah. people's obsession with the look. Like for famous people, it's it's all about the, the look and not the performance. Um, but it's why Steve it's why Michael Fassbender's greatest Steve Jobs. He looks nothing like Steve Jobs. But he impo- he pretty much is Steve Jobs. Yeah, he 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 but he but the performance embodies him. Yeah. Whereas Whereas Randy Malik, it was this dude looks like Freddie Mercury. I mean, and I love Malick, don't get me wrong. I love Mr. Robot. Well, well, and Steve Jobs is a perfect example because there's two Steve Jobs movies. One they got um, Ashton Kutcher to play him just because yeah, he looked like right. him. Looks just like him. Yeah. And I get obsessed with that look. Oh, look side by side. It's like I don't really care. How do they do as the character? Like, because yeah, the character is a real person, but it's still a film with a character that you have to you know embody. It's why every it's why every time there's a slightly buff middle aged white guy, everyone starts going, um, Thomas Jane. Not Thomas Jane. Fuck, Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. We do some other biopics. A good example of a biopic point a reversal on people is Lincoln. Where where Daniel Day Lewis played Abraham Lincoln as he actually was, people were like he wasn't like that. <laughs> he had a deep, strong man voice when really he didn't. Yeah, he had that high pitched kind of wiry voice. Well, and like there's no video evidence, so it's like there's no way you'll ever know unless you were there. Well, and and I think Lincoln is another interesting point because uh, it's focused on one specific thing. Like you have to have a point behind it. Like once, like Bohemian Rhapsody, feel like an ad for Queen. Like to oh, make it, it, it was right. Exactly. You have to have a thematic point. Like Amadeus has so many complexities and, and themes, and Lincoln is one where it's focused on one very specific thing, not Lincoln's whole life. And, and that's, that's why it worked. And that's what the good ones kind of do. They focus on one aspect. Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody... put it on his childhood, but it was focused on when Salieri interacted with him. Bohemian Rhapsody, my biggest issue... I, I'm, not, I'm not pissing people up by saying this. If, if certain time members ever listen to this. But I, I heard a lot with Bohemian Rhapsody, especially. I think music biopics who had this problem immensely, which was... I loved Bohemian Rhapsody because I love Queen music. <laughs> I knew you were going. There. Yep, heard that a lot. <laughs> and there's such a argument fallacy <laughs> in in that line of thinking, because not only are you saying that um, you have to like Queen music, or that or that you you only, because you're basically admitting 
that, that you were only liking it because you like Queen music. And then you're also kind of implying that if you don't like the movie, it's because you don't like Queen music. Yeah. This is a movie, not an album review. Yeah. Queen music's great. I love Queen. I was hyped for a Freddie Mercury biopic, but it was exactly my my, 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 my fear. Freddie Mercury in his real life had little people running around with serving dishes full of cocaine at parties. He was a crazy dude that did crazy things. He went on stage and performed We Will Rock You riding Darth Vader's shoulders. See, now we need that biopic. Yeah, there's so much you could do, and they just ignored it. I hate to keep bringing up Miami Rhapsody, but it's really good, a good example. Such of, a good comp, Rob. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Well, that's the problem is like maybe we should wait till most of the people are deceased and then because then they can't have influence over it. Right. It's like I get 30 years from now. Maybe we'll get some really good ones. <laughs> well, like that's another I actually do know a really good example of this, too, is saving Mr. Banks. Oh, right. Uh, the Walt Disney biopic made by the Disney company. <laughs> yeah. Like, We're going like, to. Make it seem like we were in the right the entire time. Yeah, like 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 that was one where if you want to talk about, like regardless of the movie's accurate or not, the fact that the company is making it throws everything with the movie into question, right? Like, yeah. Well, I remember when it came out, and um, I think it was what was it, Emma Thompson who played. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, whoever she was portraying, she loved this movie, and Tom Hanks like, no, she wouldn't have. <laughs> She would not have liked this movie. Yeah, she would have hated it. Much and, like she hated the original Mary Poppins movie they made. And Walt Disney is a very interesting guy that could actually go for a really good biopic. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, I was kind of impressed that they kind of, because it was a Disney-made movie, that they did hint at things like that Disney did, like smoking. and. I mean, there's, a, there's more than that. Well, I but, know, but again... It, but... From it being but Disney, Disney has because there's also the, the documentary called Saving 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 Sleeping Beauty or Waking Sleeping Beauty. It's on Disney Plus that they get pretty negative about themselves, but not about Walt, and that's the important thing. Because mm-hmm. um, because and Walt was a very interesting guy, and there does exist a biopic about Walt Disney called Walt Before Mickey that is about that was not made by Disney. That it's about Walt Disney's early years, which are really interesting. The problem is the movie's terrible. <laughs> And should not be watched. But there's an interesting story there. And now Disney is doing it again by making a Jim Henson biopic that is probably not going to be accurate at all. No. Because they're going to want to tarnish their ability to make money. Well, and the reason yeah. they don't want to tarnish Disney is because they don't want to wait. They don't want to be in trouble when he defrosts in like 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> when he comes out of cryo sleep. Like you badmouth me, you will die. Now, Jim Henson's another example of there's an interesting story there. You have an inter- you have a guy who basically tried to make puppets into an art form and was basically laughed at as a children's entertainer. When in reality he was an experimental filmmaker. Most of his stuff is very experimental. Or or the fact that his wife was so instrumental in the production of the Muppets and stuff. And he cheated on her with 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 red women in England several times, and they were and they were separated when he, when he passed away. Like no one knows that that he was in the midst of a divorce, and she was like still there for him, which would make an interesting movie. 
about Eugene Henson and his wife. That's not what it's going to be. We're going to we're going to get Kermit the Frog Bohemian Rhapsody. That's what we're going to fucking get. He loved his wife very much well, and never cheated on her once. <laughs> Uh, and I think I think like you know with Amadeus we talked about like uh, the myth aspect. I think like I really don't care when it adds to the complexity and it makes the story better. What's happening now is what you've talked about, where actually what they're changing is the complexities. They're taking yep. that out and making the saints. Just and for sanitization. Not an interesting film. <laughs> well, it's like we because, talked about because, last because, week, where it's like you can't end a movie on a bad note. Yeah, you, you you can't have a biopic end with the person being a bad person, but 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 it's like we know we're at the point where if a biopic has anything bad about them, they're not a bad person. Humans have flaws. Yeah, that's what makes us human. It, it's what makes these stories interesting. Like we, we, we want to see how Walt Disney, Jim Henson, Freddie Mercury, how all these great people became great despite their flaws. There's a thing called separation from real life and their art. People can do yeah. it. Well, you know, not many people will let themselves get raging bold. I, I still can't believe that he was a consultant on that film, right? Like, to see that and know, like, he was involved in that and it's based on his autobiography. Like, that's nuts. Well, I give him credit then. He knows when to let the punches hit him. Well, make a good-ass movie. Yeah. That too. Because there is... There, there, there is good stories to tell with these films, and Amadeus was able to find it. Even though you could tell, I mean, Mozart's family was way more fucked than the movie portrayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I think in this case, like that would make an interesting film. But like, there's enough there for another film, so they yeah. focused in on this period. Amadeus is also an example to me of how to adapt a play into a movie. Yeah, like the, you, you have to transform it. You have to have a reason you're adapting it. And it, you know, completely changes it to the point where it's like its own thing and you almost can't imagine it because some they'll just take the play and shoot it. And usually it doesn't, to me, it, it doesn't work very well. I've seen a few that are like supposed to be classics like Streetcar Named Desire that use no creative framing or anything. I'm like, I'm just watching the play. I like how you avoided the big elephant. I tried to. <laughs> um, but the example to me of, of how you do it is the boys in the band and I mean the original boys in the band the ones from the 70s that you can't find anywhere not the one that's on Netflix now which is not a bad adaptation it just looks like shit Sarah so shot in a fucking C100 yeah the thing, the thing was shot Really, really, really badly. But the, but the original looks great. I mean, it's William Friedkin, but yeah, it's like it's like Lost. Wait, Friedkin did it? Yeah, 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 yeah Friedkin did it. Yeah, really? like you can't find it anywhere except on YouTube in like ten parts. <laughs> but that's another example of they, 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 they took the play script, but they transformed it in a way where you get that you get that you get that intensity mm-hmm. oh yeah it's i mean yeah you have to make change you have to use like like amadeus says use all the aspects sound editing mm-hmm. direction music but i mean and like you know picture it without the scene where they're writing the music together right like that was made specifically for the film and did the play end i i 
I think it was just like um, he completed the piece. I I, sh- I should look at more of the play, but I know he's. Uh, I'm gonna read it real quick. Because I think it ends at the same. It might end with just him and the priest talking. Because yeah, yeah, the scene where he they wheel him out and he sees all the other people in the ward you wouldn't be able to do on stage, where he speaks for the mediocrities everywhere. Oh, interesting. The, the play ends with Salieri killing himself. Huh. Hmm. Have a, or, or, so, or, or attempting to kill himself and then confessing. Oh, which it opens with. Yeah. 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 The play ends with him slitting his own throat, attempting to kill himself, and then confessing to, kill, to poisoning Mozart with arsenic. Eh. And, and no one believing him and him staying in mediocrity. All right. I actually like this so much better. <laughs> like the the fact that he couldn't even succeed in killing him. Like he he couldn't even su- yeah directly succeed in killing him because he's like you know God gave him these powers. So he's like God killed him instead and made and me not suffer. Him. Yeah, it's not them laughing at me. Plus, that just makes such an electric opening, right? Like when they come in and then you get the like the the violins come in or whatever the fuck yeah. those are. I'm not. A yeah, person. I was gonna mention that. Uh, fuck the opening because <laughs> I had because it's loud. <laughs> yeah, I have my volume set because because the WB intro, and all of a sudden I just get my ears blown out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey Salieri, are you in there? Are you in there? Dun dun dun! <laughs> like, oh god, my ears, my ears. Yeah, and it's interesting that you know, it was Mio's foreman and and the Peter Schaefer, the writer of the play, working together. So it was like. He transformed his own play with, with Mio's Foreman into something new. Yeah, in that case, even the playwright recognized like you can you can do something more powerful with it in film. We've been talking for a long time, so I'm moving the final thoughts. Um, we'll end with you, Alex, because we know what your thoughts are. But Justin, you want to take it? Take it away. I believe it's. Probably up there in my like top ten of movies of all time. It's greatly you on up that score. I <laughs> <laughs> gotta up that baby. Gotta up it, gotta up it. Oh yeah. Let's go. I mean after rewatching it again, it's just like wow. Yeah. You make yes. what you make go on and I mean, who wants to go watch opera or a play? It's just like but you make me want to go see it. See, yeah, that's the crazy thing. Like, I never would have seen an opera before this. Now I'm like, gimme. They made Pink Floyd the wall into an opera. I kind of want to see it. But that's only because it's Pink Floyd. But with this movie, so I liked it. liked it a lot. I think it's technically perfect. Like, all the technical elements you expect from a film, acting, cinematography, direction, editing, all basically perfect. I did not enjoy it as much as some people did. I was kind of lost at points. I thought it was too long. I was kind of bored. But what I've been seeing from you guys is that you both kind of gave it initially like four-star reviews and upon rewatches were like, okay, this is amazing. So maybe Mm -hmm. if I were to rewatch it down the line, I'll like it a lot more. Well, it's like uh, Oval said, you catch catch little things while rewatching it that you didn't notice the first time. In any movie you can get where you can find new things every time is always a win. Over the take us home. Oh, I'm gonna listen to my up now. All right, here we go. All right. So and I 
I think that's one of the biggest things for me. Like you said, at first when I watched this, I loved it. It was like four, four and a half, somewhere around there. But like, it just stick stuck in my head. It, it wouldn't leave. And then at some point I watched it again and just like absolutely loved it. Now it's become like, it's in my top five. I'll stand by that again. Every time I'm like, is it really that high? And every time I watch it again, I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, it is like, I'm just blown away by like you said, that's just the technical aspects that drive it and make it so engaging, but it's the complexities and the things you notice every time and how much weight it has. I think that's why I love it so much. It's just got that, that combo. I'm surprised that when I say I found it too long, nobody retorted back with too many notes. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot that I hadn't done it on the podcast. I, I feel like I've messaged you that like five times already. <laughs> Which notes did you have in mind? Except that I want to answer answer you with that, and then you and then we, and then we get into a fight. Yeah, and then I say fuck you. <laughs> you know, just take whatever one's out, and it'll be perfect. But it just, yeah, it just it doesn't leave you. It's one of those like I had talked about with Lawrence of Arabia, how I started lower while still really liking it, but this to an even greater extent. Like it just wouldn't, it wouldn't leave. You know, it, it sticks with you, it, both in the in terms of how well made it is, and also just how, how well written and how complex it is. Which also kind of goes to show you, like when the Oscars are held every year, it's like you're only you're voting for it after only seeing it one time in a span of a year but as you rewatch some of these movies they just get higher and higher and you're like why didn't this win more they get higher yeah. and higher while sometimes being forgotten forgotten and no one watches it anymore that too please put this on streaming I, HBO Max I beg you please <laughs> it, well, it, it's on Tubi if you hate yourself and want to watch a three hour movie with ads it is on Tubi or use an ad blocker Yeah, or, or use an ad blocker it uh, just deserves like a full like you know being like 4k on hbo max kind of thing like i want to end with one final question for you alex after we had a lawrence arabian discussion uh uh-huh. you consider amadeus an epic <laughs> I, th- I think we talked about this i think we talked about this during Amad- or during our lawrence of arabia one I, I dodged it then too can't dodge it now honestly Honestly, I feel like you can. <laughs> I feel like you can. Okay. I might answer differently tomorrow, but I feel like you can. Because then it's like, well, I guess this is my favorite epic then. I think it's kind of on the fringe. See, cause, it's, it's got one foot in the door and one out. Because if we're going off your definition, which was it was it, it was landscape, scope slash scale, and what else? Length, I believe. Uh, is it length? I think that's a part of it, or just like a length in terms of the film or length of time are both important. Okay. Cause I, because I think it has length, I think it has scale. I don't think it has those landscapes you always talked about. Right, because it has big environments. It has the city stuff, but it doesn't have like the the like environment. You know what I mean? Well, you, but you could also argue that like the stage scenes and stuff kind of make up for that. Right, and that's what I'm torn. That's what I'm torn on because like those are huge. Like they're literally just in an opera house recreating the whole thing with a full audience, like so it's tough. But 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 you're going with yes, final answer as of today, on the record. Till the next and- podcast where he just says, Amadeus is not. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I would say sure, why not? Okay. Whatever gets people to watch it. I'm not letting you dodge this fucking question. <laughs> 
Um, Whoever gets people to watch it, I'll say yes. Which, which you should watch it. It's especially if you're into film and you consider yourself to be like like a film expert or a big film fan. You, you haven't seen this movie. Like it, you, it should be seen. Won <laughs> Oscars. It's highly regarded. For F. Murray Abraham's performance alone, watch it. Yeah, Mike it's not know. on screen, but your grandparents might have it on VHS, like I mentioned. And those so might be worth some money. The Blu-ray is not terribly pricey either. I'm sure it's like a basic one, though. Yeah, there is a really. I have the really nice one. That one's not too badly priced either. The book one. But Warner needs to put this on HBO Max. It yeah, that's really like a it. shame that it's not there right now. But yeah, uh, we all agree. You should watch Amadeus. It's a classic. And with that, we are out of time. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Idiot Plot. Next week, we have Justin's pick. Justin, do you want to share with the people what you're making us watch for next week? The old, not Disney, long-forgotten movie, Secret of Nim. I'm excited for this one. I love that movie so much. We hope you listen to that next time with our, with our thoughts on Secret of Nim. And with that, for Justin Edsel, Alex Overlock, thank you so much for listening to Idiot Plot. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Idiot Plot. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to get a notification every time we drop a new episode. Also, follow us on Facebook and Letterboxd. The links are in the description. Thank you.